0: having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jannas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learnt it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is God's word.
1: Well, what a great chapter to uh, lead us into thinking about one-to-one discipleship. Uh, My name's Sam. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's my great privilege to help us through this next part of our series. We've been talking about making disciples, and we'll be doing that for another few weeks. Different aspects of fulfilling that great command of Jesus. Uh, So first up, Sandy took us through what is discipleship. What are we talking about when we use that word? Last week, Abe's uh, led us through personal Bible reading, actually discipling ourselves uh, using the Word of God. And today we're looking at one-to-one discipleship. And this is one of the most powerful uh, discipling contexts. And uh, I just love sitting down with people who want to grow in Christ and doing what I can uh, to help them. And I love sitting down with the person who does that for me as well. Uh, So... Uh, Before we get stuck into this passage and if you could open your Bibles at uh, 2 Timothy 3, that would be great. I'll be working our way through it. Uh, I want to give you an example of somebody who did this really, really well. You've probably heard of John Stott. His pictures on the screen there. Uh, John Stott actually, uh, a couple of weeks ago, was the 100th anniversary of his birth. I think he lived to about 97 or something like that. He's a remarkable man in so many ways. He wrote 50 plus books. Uh, I use his countries, they're so, so good. Uh, he founded a thing called the Langham Partnership, uh, which helps train and build up Christian leaders around the world. I've had the privilege of being involved in their preaching training program. He is largely responsible for the resurgence in what we call expository preaching, which is what we do here at Cross Culture, where you work your way through a text. Uh, in lots of countries around the world, and in Australia, uh, at the age of 32, he was a chaplain to Queen Elizabeth. Wrap your mind around that. <laughs> He's a remarkable man in so many ways. A very humble, well-known Christian leader. Uh, a person who's not so well-known is Eric Nash, this guy here. He was known as Bash. <laughs> um, and he, he made it his ministry to run camps uh, for schoolboys uh, from English schools. And over his lifetime, he led many, many young people to Christ. And John Stott was one of them. And uh, John Stott says that Bash wrote to him every week, encouraging him, challenging him uh, to take the next step in following Jesus. He was really, really good at one-to-one discipleship. So good that John Stott said, Sometimes when he got a letter from Bash, he had to pray for half an hour before he opened it (laughs) because it was always challenging him to to live for Jesus. And he, in a major way, helped to form John Stewart. Bash uh, discipled hundreds and hundreds of people in his lifetime personally. Among them are people like Michael Green, Dick Lucas, several uh, English bishops, Bible college principals, about 200 pastors, as well as lots and lots of other people. Now, uh, examples like this highlight to us the massive benefit of doing this, not just for the people we disciple, but further down the generations. Um, And I don't think we can aspire to be like Bash or or even try and do what he did. Uh, But we can actually, if we're not already doing it, disciple one other person. We can start with one. So how do we do it? and do it well. I'm going to pull out out four things from this chapter that I think really help us as we think about this one-to-one discipling. Why don't we pray and ask for God's help and God's power as we do this. Gracious God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that empowers us and lives in each and every believer. We pray that as we look at your word this morning that it will become very real to us, so real that we'll we'll have a passionate desire to put it into practice. And not just for our own sake, but for your glory, Lord, and for the benefit of those that we seek to build up in Jesus. Thank Amen. Um, the first point, I think I'm going to do four things. first point is in verses 1 to 9. We need to understand the context that we live in. In our passage two weeks ago when uh, Pastor Sandy spoke about... Uh, the, the cost of discipleship. We were talking, looking at Luke 14 where Jesus was speaking about, you know, if you're going to become a disciple of Jesus, count the cost. And Jesus used two illustrations, two examples. One was about a, a guy who wanted to build a tower. And Jesus said, you know, there's no point in building a tower if you don't have the resources. The other was about a battle, about a king going out to do battle with another king. And not sitting down and thinking, well, how strong is his army and how strong's is mine? It's fascinating that Jesus used those two kind of illustrations to describe counting the cost. And I think they are very apt for what we're doing when we follow Jesus. We're trying to build a life that reflects Jesus. That tells people how great this person is who rescued us from our sin and our wrongdoing. And we're in a battle. I've been a Christian now for more than 50 years. And it's still going on. (laughs) And I'm sure it is for each one of you who are trying to follow Jesus. And from what I hear from people who have done it to the end, it it keeps going till your dying day. That battle uh, between good and evil that's out there, but it's also in here, uh, that goes on. And so it's very appropriate that we think about this in that kind of way. So Paul, as he writes to Timothy, uh, a younger Christian who Paul is discipling one-on-one, and it's fantastic to read both his letters to Timothy. It tells you a lot about how this process happens. Uh, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you need to be aware of the context that you are in. Uh, Verse 1, understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty. Paul's saying there's things you've got to understand, Timothy, about our context, about people. He says in the last days there'll be times of difficulty. What's he talking about? Sometime in the future? (laughs) No, actually, that's now. We are in the last days now. Jesus could come tomorrow, could come tonight to wind this whole show up and we have to Give account to him. It's obvious too from what Paul says here that uh, we're in the last days. Look at that verse uh, 2. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, I don't think Paul's saying that all people are like that all the time, but he's saying these are what we see in a godless community and, of course, some of these things we see in our own hearts, don't we? There are 19 different things in this verse, these two verses, three verses. But notice they are bookended, so people will be lovers of self and then at the end, rather than lovers of God. So what Paul's presenting here uh, is that there, there are two worldviews basically out there. One is that's got me at the centre and the other one has God at the centre. So one has me and what I want as the thing that determines everything and the other one has God and what God wants as the thing that determines everything. So discipleship is about moving from being a lover of self to being a lover of God. Daily, deliberately, dying to self and living to God. We've had this acted out, haven't we, in baptism here today? That's what it's all about, isn't it? Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. So as Mel went down into that water, she's saying, yep, I want to die to myself. And as she comes up out of the water, she says, I want to live for Jesus. I want to live for the glory of Jesus. So it's a daily deliberate perseverance in the same Godward, the same God-pleasing direction. Getting rid of our love of money and pleasure, our pride, our arrogance, our abuse, disrespect of parents, all those things that Paul lists there. Getting rid of them, putting them to death. And I can tell you, they keep rising up. You know that as well, don't you? You know, love of money. What about that one? You know, know, let's go and do some gambling, get more money, whatever. It's it's such a pervasive thing that we have to keep putting to death and keep saying, no, that's not at the center of my life. It's my love of God that's at the center of my life. Now, the startling thing about what Paul says here in verse 5, he says, there's some people like this who have the appearance of godliness but denying its power. The alarming thing is that the, this focus and the people and the lifestyles that Paul is warning against here, some of these people are in the church and they're pretending that they're Christians. <laughs> they're faking it. And he raises the example of uh, John's and Jambra from uh, from uh, the life of Moses. Now, when Moses went before Pharaoh, and God enabled him to do miracles that would show Pharaoh that he was from God, and Pharaoh called up his magicians, and and uh, they were able to copy some of imitate some of the things that Moses was doing. Not all of them. And what Paul is saying is that just be aware. There's a lot of fakery in the church. There are people who pretend that they are Christians. They pretend that they're lovers of God, but actually inside they're lovers of self and money and pleasure and those things. And uh, we see that, don't we, sometimes? some Actually, there are some churches out there who offer you both, don't they? They say you can love money as well and you can love Jesus. <laughs> you can have it all. In fact, God wants you to have it all, all that stuff. You can chase both things. It's not a problem. It's not what Paul says, it's not what Jesus says. If you want to follow me, deny yourself, leave everything and come after me. Some of these people, like all predators, they're looking for vulnerable people and Paul talks about that. Uh, They they make their way into households and they seek out vulnerable people to, to get on their team. Paul says, Timothy, it'll all be exposed in the end, you don't need to panic about this. They'll not get very far, in verse 9, he says, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So, friends, the reason we need discipling is that this battle is hard and it is serious. You and I need all the help we can get and so do the people uh, in our church. People who have just become Christians, people maybe are not yet Christians, people who are struggling with various issues. Friends, we need all the help we can get so we can make that move from being lover of self, money, pleasure, that stuff, and become totally focused on Jesus. We need it too to know the fake from the real. Uh, The more we know the real, the more we will be able to spot the fake. And that's what Paul is saying here as he goes on to talk about the word of God in a moment. So this is an urgent context, the context of discipling. Uh, secondly in verses 10 to 13 uh, if we're involved in this we need, if we're discipling others we need to live a life that's worth copying. If there's one thing that can derail and wreck the discipling process it's hypocrisy. Where people are saying one thing to their disciple and doing something else in their life. Think of the damage that's been caused by us finding stuff out about Rabbi Zacharias. And so many people who have who have been discipled by him, and said, so, whoa, you know, they're just totally flattened by it. Now, Paul's saying to Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Paul is able to say to Timothy, don't go that way, those fake people. You've seen my life go that way. Uh, he's, Timothy has been able to see not just Paul's aim in life and the integrity of his life and the transparency of it but he's been able to see the fruit of the spirit in it in his life his patience his faithfulness and so on now please note here that Paul's not claiming that he's sinless uh, elsewhere he calls himself the chief of sinners but what he is saying to Timothy is i've worked really really hard uh, to live a life that you can copy that you will look up to me and say, yeah, I want to be like that because he's living with God at the centre of his life. This is really important for us to do for our own sakes, uh, for the glory of God, but also for the people around us. You know what the number one thing non-Christians in Australia say would persuade them to think about Jesus? That if they saw someone authentically living like Jesus... That's the top thing that they say would make them think, yeah, I want to be a Christian. So this is really, really important. Now what, what do we do about that stuff? We think, well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to teach my disciple, Lee, to do this, my disciple, and, and I'm not up to the mark with that. What do we do with that? Because that comes up quite often for me. It probably does for you as well. You know, in those situations at work as well. Well, you're so supposed to be a Christian. How come you're fighting with that person? What, how do you respond to things like that? Friends, we need to be honest, don't we? That's number one, transparent. And say, so, look, I'm really sorry. I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm really struggling. Thank you for pointing it out. Uh, and if we're discipling somebody and we're trying to help them with something that we also struggle with, we ought to say that. Would like, say, I'm battling with this as well. Uh, so let's help one another. Let's dig into God's word and find out how we can uh, work together by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about his persecutions and sufferings as well, and he talks about what happened to him in those places, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, what he endured and so forth. Uh, <laughs> so Paul's determination to follow Jesus is not just something he talks about and that people can see the fruit of the Spirit in his life. It's actually something he's prepared to put his life on the line for. Uh, Timothy came from Lystra. And when Paul went to Lystra to tell people about Jesus, the people there were so outraged that they grabbed him and stoned him. They thought he was dead and they dragged him outside the city and chucked his body out on the rubbish heap. But God miraculously raised him up again. And you see what Paul's saying here, Timothy, this is so important. I'm prepared to put my life on the line and you've seen that. Uh, When we lived in Karachi, um, our church came under attack from a a very powerful fundamentalist, uh, this was um, pre-Islamic state days, it was the forerunner of that in Pakistan. They had a huge uh, publicity campaign going on. And they exposed outreach that our church was doing. And uh, there were Muslims who were coming to Christ. And they were outraged by this, of course. Part of what they did was they published in their magazine the names and addresses and phone numbers of people who were involved in this outreach. Uh, One of them, who was the head of this outreach, lived not far from me, uh, and he had he and his wife had four kids. Uh, I went round one night to see them, to encourage them. The bishop of the church had said, You guys need to get out of the country. Uh, they're after you. So I said to them, What are you going to do? If four little kids are asleep in bed, they said, We're staying. We're staying. We trust God to protect us. And in the goodness of God, that happened. But I'll tell you what happened as a result of that. The people they were discipling, people who had uh, come to Christ from very difficult backgrounds, they were drug affected, uh, all sorts of situations, they said, now we know that what you've been telling us is true because you were prepared to die for it. And friends, this is what Paul is saying here. Now... Most of us are not going to be called upon to make that kind of a sacrifice, are we? But we will be called upon to make other kinds of sacrifices. If we're really going to help one another to grow in Christ, we're going to have to give up some stuff, aren't we? You know, Maybe you won't be chasing the pro- promotion so much. You, maybe you won't be spending so much time in coffee shops or whatever. Maybe, maybe you'll be spending your time in coffee shops discipling somebody. <laughs> There's going to be sacrifice involved, but that sacrifice tells the person that we're discipling that this is really important, doesn't it? It's part of the message. So live a life that's worth copying, that's compelling. Thirdly, understand the person, verses 14 and 15. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, As for you, continue in what you've learnt and have firmly believed knowing from whom you've learnt it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. So Paul now turns from the context of his own example uh, to focusing on the one that he's discipling. So Paul's talked about the people who are doing the wrong thing and he says to Timothy, as for you, you continue in what you've learnt. Uh, Timothy is not to be like those people who live self-centred lives. He's to live a God-centred life. Now, we can see here too in these verses that Paul has got to know Timothy quite well, hasn't he? He knows his background. He knows his family history. He knows that he's learnt God's word uh, from a child and uh, from his mum and his grandmother. So this is really important, isn't it, if we're discipling someone to understand who they are. Are they a Christian yet? That's a really important question, isn't it? Um, if so, how long have they been a Christian? What background have they come from? You know, they come from a background where they have no understanding whatever of, of, of the Bible. You know, we start there in a very different place, don't you, for what you would with somebody like Timothy uh, who's been brought up to know the Bible and understand it. So we, we need to understand the person. Uh, what areas of their life do they need to grow in? Uh, what are their strengths that they can be encouraged in? What are their temptations and the sins that they're struggling with? Uh, what gifts do they have that they can be encouraged to use? The point of this is actually we don't, mustn't have a one-size-fits-all for discipling people. Okay, everyone who comes along, we're going to go through this book, like it or not. It, that may not be appropriate. We, we need to understand. So how do we, how do we know? Uh, these things. How do we find out? Well, the best ways to ask them, isn't it? That's fairly straightforward. You know, tell us about your your experience so far with God. Tell us about your understanding of the Bible. Tell us about your family background. Those kinds of things. Actually, Paul did this with Timothy. He he understood who Timothy was. Uh, Timothy was apparently a bit timid. Probably goes with his name. But uh, in in chapter one verse seven. Uh, Paul says to him, uh, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self control. He's saying, Tim, be strong. Don't be timid. So ask them, get to know uh, the person that we are discipling. Be a, uh, and uh, if you're being discipled too, I think one of the best ways to help the person who's discipling you to do it well is to. Give them a list of questions that you want them to ask you every time you meet. That's a tough one, isn't it? But, you know, please ask me how am I spending my money, or whatever it is. Please ask me how long it is since I've accessed internet porn. Please ask me what steps am I taking to deal with my pride and arrogance. Please ask me what I'm doing to use the gifts that God's given me. Whatever questions, whatever area you want to grow in, that's the best way to do it. That makes the job of the disciple a bit easier, let me tell you. And it shows them that you're serious in making that move from being a lover of self to a lover of God. Finally, fourth point, verses 15 to 17, release the powerful word of God uh, into people's lives. This part tells us how we move uh, to be mature, purposeful, useful disciples of Christ. And how is it? It's not through the genius of the discipler, but it's through God's word. This is the God-given tool uh, for us to form disciples who are equipped for every good work, who are people who put Jesus first. And it's God's tool to do that for us as well. Uh, The role of the discipler is to release the power of God's word in the life of the person they're discipling. So Paul says to Timothy, you know the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God. Paul outlines two things here. Firstly, what is scripture? And secondly, what it does. So what is scripture? Well, it's sacred writing. It's different to any other book, the Bible. It's sacred. Actually, the word that's used was used to describe the temple in the Old Testament, the place where God lived, uh, where God was especially present, where people could go to connect with God. And so Paul's using, applying that word to the Bible. He's saying this is where we go to find out about God, to connect with God. It's sacred. And so it's to be read in that light. You don't read it like you read a how-to manual. You read it as God gave it to us, as sacred writing. Secondly, it's God breathed, in verse 16. Uh, God so worked in the writers, and there are lots of them, uh, that the words that he wanted there ended up there. And he didn't override their personalities but he used their personalities and their gifts to give us his words. So that's what it means that they're God-breathed. And so it means that all of it is God's word. Leviticus, Gospel of John, words of Jesus, words of Paul, words of Moses. It's all God's word. And so, friends, if we're discipling people, we need to have that kind of confidence that this is God's word that he carries all the authority of God. So it's not our words, it's God's words. And we're referring the person we're discipling to that and saying this is God's word for you and for me. And as, as we're discipling one-on-one, we are both sitting under the word of God. It's not a scenario where I'm telling you how to live. It's a scenario where both of us are listening to God and working out how he wants us both to live. Um, our statement of faith puts it like this the Bible, as originally written, is the inspired and infallible Word of God. It's our supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. So that's the nature of the Bible. Secondly, what does it do? Now, three things here very quickly. Firstly, it tells us how to be saved, it's able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus helps us to understand how we can be forgiven, how our sins can be washed away, how, how we can be put right with God. That's what he means by that. And it's through faith in Christ Jesus. It's not through faith in a book. It's through faith in a person. And we find out about that person uh, in the Bible. Secondly, it teaches and rebukes, it corrects and trains us. We haven't got time to unpack all of this. But Paul says it's profitable. Uh, To do that, it returns a profit. If you let this book reprove you, in other words, rebuke you, correct you, uh, teach you and train you in righteousness. So a couple of things here. Firstly, it tells us what to believe and what not to believe. To be able to discern the fake from the real. And it tells us what to do in response to what we believe to be trained in righteousness, to be corrected, you know, to get rid of our sinful self-centeredness and to be trained uh, to be righteous like Jesus. We all know, doesn't it, there's no use believing stuff if it doesn't make any difference in our lives and that's what this is pointing us to. Verse 17 equips us for every good work. It equips us, gives us what we need to do everything good, uh, every good work. You want to know, What God wants you to do, look in the Bible. Uh, How to love your enemies, that's in there. Uh, How to help others. How to live out the good news and tell other people the good news. So this tool equips us to do all that God wants us to do. That's what we're about as we come to church week by week. As we go to life group, as we do one-on-one discipling, we're about being equipped to do what God wants us to do, to be the person that God wants us to be. And uh, Paul is saying this is profitable. If you invest in this, it will return a profit for sure. We invest in all sorts of stuff, don't we? But (laughs) sometimes it, it flies, sometimes it doesn't. But Paul is saying you invest in this, then it will return a good profit, an eternal profit. So it equips us for every good work. Friends, as Christians, we have the opportunity to help God to change people's life outcomes, eternal life outcomes, by sharing God's word with them, that they can become wise for rescue, for salvation, that they can become like Jesus. So let's use that tool. Okay, just to finish quickly, a couple of practical things. Why do we do one-to-one discipling? Some people say, you keep banging on about this, why? Well, the <laughs> number one reason is that's what Jesus told us to do. Probably don't need to go any further than that, but I will. Jesus said, go, make disciples of all nations, all people groups. I want to use an illustration here. Uh, let's say that um, we all watch a program on how to get fit. And the presenter says, you at least need to do at least 10,000 steps a day and you need to do 20 minutes in the gym at least three times a week. Now my guess is there's probably some of us who will bump up our number of steps for a week or two, <laughs> maybe one or two who will go to the gym and you know, join in a fitness group and be spurred on by the other people there. But I think if we were really going to get serious about it, we'd go out and get a personal trainer, wouldn't we? Somebody who would say, hey, yep, Sam, you're a bit flabby down here or you need to build this up or whatever. S- and someone I can go to and say, look, you know, my back's crooked, what do I do about that? How can I get fit, build up my core strength? Stuff like that. And you see, personal trainer will spur us on, and people pay a lot of money for this, don't they? And they get abused by the trainer as well <laughs> into the bargain, who's spurring them on, come on, come on, you can do better. Some of them are like torturers, you know. Anyway, this is a bit what uh, what one-to-one discipleship is like. Coming here Sunday by Sunday is like listening to a seminar and how you can be a good follower of Christ. Going to life group is great. It's like being in a group of other people who help to spur you on with that. One-to-one discipleship is like personal coaching. We actually sit down with someone and say, these are the areas that I'm weak in. This is what I want help with. I really want you to pray that I'll resist this temptation. And week by week, I want to tell you how I'm going and I want you to ask me. Friends, that's why we think this is important, so that we can all really grow, get personalised help, support uh, and encouragement. Celebrate the wins and confess the losses, the things that we were still struggling with and get spurred on to do better. So, I want to encourage you with this because this is way more important than getting business coaching or fitness coaching or personal coaching or whatever, because all of those other things will be gone. Sooner or later, your business will fall flat or someone else will take it over. Sooner or later, your career will end and your career coaching, will, it, it's, it's useful for a short while. But friends, this is the only thing that's going to matter in the end, that you and I get the focus off ourselves and put God first and reflect who we are as people who are so precious to Jesus that he came from heaven and died for us. That's what we're trying to do. So how do you do it? Very, very quickly. Uh, If you don't currently have somebody who's discipling you, then seek out somebody. Your life group leader is the person to ask for help in the first instance. Now, uh, if they can't connect you to somebody that uh, will disciple you, uh, you can talk with the discipleship ministry team. If you already have somebody who's discipling you, but you're not yet discipling somebody else, talk with your discipler about that and help them to kickstart you in discipling somebody else. Uh, Friends, God has put us together in this church so we can do stuff like that, help one another grow. Um, you can do it face-to-face, you can do it on Zoom, you can do it weekly, fortnightly, monthly. I have several scenarios that are all different. Do it. Understand the times. The last days, it's going to be too late when Jesus returns to say, oh, gee, I better get on and help somebody else to, uh, to come to know Jesus or to disciple them. Here's a simple program you can start with uh, 15 minute catch up how are things going what wins have you had since we last met in following Jesus what are the temptations and sins you've been trying to overcome how can, I, how can we support and encourage one another uh, 30 minutes read the Bible uh, agree on some part of the Bible that you'll read together if they're a new Christian perhaps go through one of the gospels uh, if people want a deeper understanding of the good news of Jesus maybe go to Romans or Galatians You want to know more about holiness, maybe go to Leviticus. Uh, Agree with them what you're going to do and read it. What then? Well, here's some generic questions you can ask to dig into that part of the Bible. Three very simple ones. What's God teaching us about himself here? God is always teaching us something about himself in every bit of the Bible. What do we learn about ourselves from this passage? And what action do I need to take as a result? That's very simple. You can find more complicated patterns if you like. And then at the end, 15 minutes, uh, to pray. Pray for one another. Pray for God's help in applying the scripture. Uh, For more detail, have a look at the um, starter pack on our website uh, that the Discipleship Ministry team has put together. It's under the Connect and Grow tab. Now, friends, I just want to, at the end, say, what are the limitations of this? Um, There is absolutely no limit to what God can do. But there is a limit to what you and I can do. Uh, So if the person comes along one day with a broken leg, it's probably a good idea to refer them on to a doctor or take them to emergency. That's fairly straightforward. Don't try and fix it for them. You can't fix everything. If they've got a financial issue, help them to find somebody with the expertise to advise them. If they've got a mental health issue, help them to find somebody who can help them. Don't feel that you have to solve everything if you're discipling somebody else. But by God's grace, uh, you will be able to help them to grow more like Jesus. And friends, that is the best thing ever, isn't it? Well, let's pray and ask for God's help. And uh, as we go forward with this, uh, for his glory, let's pray together. Lord, you know that there are so many distractions in our lives, so many things that we feel like we have to do. And when we sit down and analyse it, some of them are, are things that... Uh, yeah, sometimes you've solved them already, But uh, and sometimes we spend a lot of time worrying about things that are not going to matter in the end. But we do know that you want every person on the planet to come to know Jesus. And we you want each one of us who do know him to to grow in him, to observe all the things that he commanded. So Lord, we pray that you'll help us as we think through these things, as we think about our own personal discipleship, Lord, uh, help us to, if we're not already doing it, seek out somebody who will uh, be our personal spiritual disciple, a coach who will help us to become more like Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to help others as well uh, so that they too can reflect your glory Uh, so that people will see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven, uh, as you said they would. We pray for all the power and strength and help of your spirit in this, for Jesus' sake. Amen.